0: We're in the book of Jude, I can't hardly believe we started some time ago going through Genesis, book by book, through the Bible on a Wednesday night, and this is one of our shorter books of our Bible, not as short as 2 John, 3 John, but uh, certainly one of the shorter books, but boy, it punches um, uh, some power. It has a powerful punch. And it's, uh, it's a great book of the Bible, and I'm looking forward to sharing it. I'm looking forward next week to finishing the book of the Revelation on next Wednesday night. And uh, we'll have about uh, probably 300, 400 new college students with us on next Wednesday night that will be here for our midweek service. And I hope you'll go out of your way to welcome them, to love them, and encourage them as they make their way. I talked to a young man last night. His pastor called me and said, he's coming. He comes from a very... Um, uh, backwards home, his mom and his uh, his uh, grandmother very uh, just he'd be the first one to ever go off to college anywhere. They're very uh, backwards in the way they think about things, but I, I love him like my son. I'd like to see him. And they went out and purchased a car this morning with his own money. But he and his pastor went, found a car and and getting it registered today and tomorrow, and then he's going to be coming up here next week to go to college. I called him on the phone at his pastor's request and had a good conversation with him. I talked to him a couple other times previous to this time, but uh, he said, Brother Wilkerson, I'm scared, but I think I'm going to be okay. And I said, you're going to do fine. And I rehearsed with him what happened with me when the Lord brought me to Hiles Anderson. And, and I remember putting my little footlocker in my garment bag with my first ever brand new sport coat in it. My teacher, Sarah Hall, bought for me and laid it across the trunk of this guy's car. We met him in the parking lot of a church and he drove me up to college. I watched my dad and my dad cried like a baby and uh, waving at me and kissing me and saying, ish dish. And (laughs) he was uh, telling me how much he loves me. And and, uh, he was crying, turned away, wiping his big tears. And uh, my mom was doing the same, her brothers and sisters, as I was waving at them, heading off to college. And, and uh, so thankful for the church family that loved me and encouraged me and, and, uh, and uh, lifted my burden when I came as an 18-year-old young man. We have many of those coming next week, and I'm looking forward to having them. And I'm glad you're here. And uh, let's go through the book of Jude. The book of Jude, we believe, is written by one of the half-brothers of Jesus. He is the son of Joseph and Mary. Uh, Jesus looks like he had four brothers, and you can see their names, and some of them mention in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 6, and uh, it took them a while to figure out that they that Jesus was the Messiah. You'd be surprised at that. You'd think our, their mother would have, would have convinced them, but it wasn't enough to have their mothers convincing them, and, and by the way, the Bible tells us, I was witnessing to a man last week and got to go through the gospel with him, and... And uh, he was saying, well, I've been in the church since I was a kid. My parents took me in church. And I had him read John chapter 1, and verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then it says in verse 13, which were born. What's the first way? You can't be born of blood. It's not because you're mom and dad. It's not of the will of the flesh. not something you can manufacture it's not the will of man. I told him, I want you to get saved, but I can't save you. I can't go around saying, want this person saved, this person saved? No, it's not the will of man. It's the will of God, but it's of God when someone believes and receives Jesus Christ. But uh, Je- Jude and his brother James, who also seemed to have written the book of James, and the pastor of the church of Jerusalem after the first apostle James was, was uh, beheaded. They were brothers, but uh, probably it wasn't until Jesus went back to heaven that they really came to that uh, understanding. Somewhere in that process, he came to accept him not only as his half-brother, but also as his Savior. And you'll see that in his, in his recognition here. He puts the person of Jesus Christ... He might have been having some bitterness when his mother would say, why can't you just be like Jesus (laughs) Uh, in their home growing up? You know, I imagine that would be kind of rough, right? Uh, Growing up with Jesus and being compared to your perfect brother who didn't have that sin nature. I don't know. But let's look real quick at a couple of things that we see here. As, as he is uh, writing to us, and the Bible says Jude, and another name for that would be Judah uh, in the Old Testament. It would be, the, it'd be a, a name in the Hebrew and the Greek the same. The servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. How many of you are in that group right there? You've been sanctified, called, and preserved in the person of Christ. Aren't you glad for that? And by the way, the Bible is for Christian people. Matter of fact, the church is for Christians. We've got people nowadays trying to make the church look like a nightclub and trying to attract the world. And the truth of the matter is it's backwards. Um, we, the church is, is not supposed to be an attractive to an unsaved. You know, what should be attractive to an unsafe world is obvious love. By this you'll all men know if you're really my disciples, if you have Love one for another. That's something they can't not ignore. They can't get over that. The only badge of discipleship this unsaved world can recognize is love. Now we have the truth and love together. But uh, that's it. But he says, I'm going to write to people who know the Lord, who are saved, have been sanctified, called by the Lord. Look at verse number two. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. That's just a common greeting. But he says, mercy and peace and love be multiplied. And uh, verse number three, beloved. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith uh, which was once delivered to the saints. He said, boy, I was hoping to write just a wonderful letter telling you how wonderful it is and rejoice in our salvation and all the good things that God's given us. However, I have to commend and have to tell you we got a fight on our hands. And there's, there's a reason to contend. If you look at the book of Jude and the book of 2 Peter, you'll see a lot of similarities. Now, they both have uh, different personalities, Peter and Jude, and different backgrounds maybe, but they had the same Holy Spirit of God that inspired all the words of the Lord Jesus and all the words of God. But you'll see, it seems like to me, Joe Jude may have read, it's one of the later books, may have read 2 Peter's book, or he may have just seen the signs of a time. Don't know who he's writing to, we don't know that, but we do know that he said, I, just, I really wanted to write and tell you how wonderful it was to be saved, and let's talk about the joys of salvation. But i got to tell you, we got to contend for the faith. There is a reason to contend uh, for the faith that's been delivered to the saints. You've been re- you receive it, and you're going to have to fight for it. And so he, he calls, he blows the trumpet and says, hey, there's a reason to stand up, evaluate what we believe, and watch out. And he begins to go into an exposition that's going to talk about the presumption and the perversion of false teachers and the apostates of the day. And um, not much has changed. <laughs> there's still this problem as it was with Jude 2,000 years ago. It's a problem today. Let's look at some of the characteristics, if we can, please, and I'll go back and uh, give you the outline and some lessons we can apply briefly. Verse number four, the Bible says, "There there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Infiltration is one of the favorite tactics of Satan. He, sometimes the enemy is from without, but sometimes the enemy is from within. And one of fa- Satan's favorite ways is to plant tares into the wheat of true believers. And infiltration is one of his tactics. And we all have to be aware about that. This is not just Jude talking. If you you read uh, Acts chapter 20, when Paul is standing on the shores of Miletus, looking to the eyeballs of multiple pastors he had trained in his three years in Ephesus, he tells them, beware, watch out, because there's going to be false prophets risen up around you and within you. He was looking at some of them. No doubt, some of those pastors went squirrely in their doctrine. Some of them went off to a different way. He said, listen, you've got you to do this. He told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last times, in later days, some will depart from the faith. It just is one of the more heartbreaking things of Christian ministry is watching people who at one time believed right, lived right, held to truth, and then they just begin to sway and they go and there's, there's just, a seems like to me, a, a predictable pattern of shifting away. And I don't know that some of them have never been saved and others of them are saved that get caught up as victims uh, with a villain. But he's going to talk about it. He's going to say, look, some of the folks are going to come up right within the assembly that you're in. And now he's going to use some illustrations. Look at verse number, uh, if you could look at verse number five. The Bible says, I will therefore uh, put you in remembrance. I'm going to remind you, though you once knew this, you've kind of maybe remembered this before from Sunday school, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed them that believed. He's using the example of Israel. He brought a lot of people out of Egypt, but then he... He, he killed a lot of people in the wilderness who would not believe. He said, not everybody that came out of Egypt got saved. Some of them did not believe. And he's going to use the illustration of people. He's going to tell their, 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 their error and their judgment. God dealt with them. He's going to go on to say in, in heaven, look at verse number six, and the angels, which kept not their own first estate, but left their own habitation. He reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness unto the judgment to the great day. He said the demons and all their imps, Satan and his demons, they, they have turned and they're going to be judged with everlasting damnation. Look at verse number seven. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah And the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh and set forth as an example of suffering and vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile flesh, despise dominion. They do not like authority. They're immoral. They speak evil of authorities, of dignities. By the way, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that verse. Would you not want to be in that verse, verse 8? You want to be an immoral person? No, get out of that. Don't do that. You want to be someone who doesn't like dominion? You don't want authority? You rebel against God-given authority in your life? Someone who speaks evil against recognized authorities that God's put up in, in our society and in our, in, our, in our systems? He said, he said, these folks, they're immoral. They, they're, they're rebellious, and they're very caustic and critical of their tongue. They had no issue speaking negative about dignities. And he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. So he used the example of Israel. Then he uses the example of the angels who rebelled, and they're, they're going to have judgment. And then Sodom and Gomorrah, who this seems to be three of their problems, immorality, defiling their flesh, rebelling against dominions or authority in their life, and then speaking uh, negatively and, and caustically against dignities. He says... These are the the kind of things. And we see this. The church has the same problem today. And the infiltration is false teachers that you see there. And then you'll see that um, there are tares. There are people who are in the pews or in the ministry, but they're not saved. And they have been placed there by Satan to complicate the work of the Lord. Another problem we have in local church is demonic activity. How many think you've ever experienced... Satan and demonic activity and trying to do the work of the Lord. If you have never had that, you probably are not doing the work of the Lord. Boy, sometimes whenever it comes time to win someone to Christ, dogs bark, babies cry, uh, sirens go by, it's unbelievable. Whenever you're trying to do something that is spiritual and wholesome and right, you ever wonder why? Why is this so hard? Why can they get it? 60,000 people down at uh, Soldier Field to watch the Bears lose, and I can't get 16 people in my adult Sunday school class for free. It's crazy. It's because you got satanic opposition. You have infiltration of tares. You have worldliness. A worldliness and an arrogance that oftentimes surfaces in churches and in the work of the Lord that causes some problems. Let's continue on if we can. He gives an illustration, yet Michael... The archangel, when contending that the devil, he, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said to Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. But these, th- these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beast in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And have ran greedily after the heir of Balaam in in reward and perish in the gainsaying of Kor. So here we find that he's going to use some interesting. Jude definitely is writing to a Hebrew audience, in my opinion. And uh, he, is, he is referencing not only revealed Old Testament stories, he's going to mention that in the Scriptures, but he's also going to mention some writings that were extra-biblical. They are not in the biblical canon of Scriptures, but the Jewish man or woman had read them. By the way, there are some beneficial things in other books of the Bible uh, than just the Bible. I certainly, if I had my choice, I'd just keep my Bible and leave those other things to collect dust on the shelf. But there are some good things we're learning. He it looks like he's referencing the book of Enoch and possibly the writings of Moses. And he says, look, when it came time for, for Moses to get, get buried, there seemed to be a little bit of an argument with Michael, the archangel, and Satan over the body of Moses. And that is not a biblical thing, but Jude is referencing something that every probably Jewish uh, man or a scholar has been familiar with in another writing. And he's like he said, look, the same arrogance... And the same restraint that Michael used, you might want to use that too. But he said, these people corrupt minds. They just run their mouth. They say whatever they want to say against whoever they want to say it. And we find here that Michael the Archangel, who had great power, did not. So he said, look, you know, just let God take care of that situation with you, Satan. It's a lesson we all can learn. A good time to keep your mouth shut is when you're in over water. (laughs) When When you're in over water, that's probably a good time to be quiet. Sometimes when we want to say something, we ought to ask ourselves, is this what God wants me to say? Is this, is this, and I like that little acrostic, we've heard about it before. Think before you speak. Is it? What I'm going to say, is it true? If I said it, would it be helpful? Could it be inspirational? Could it be more discouraging to the situation? Is it absolutely needful that I say that? And can I say it in a spirit of kindness? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it, would it be inspirational and helpful to somebody there? Would it inspire somebody? Uh, this, today, I was talking to Brother Keith um, Cowley, and he made, made the, the verse reference to the verse that we spoke about, that let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth but that which is good for the use of edifying, building up, inspiring. Is it needful? And can I say it in a kind and gracious way? You know, sometimes even correction doesn't always have to be in a caustic spirit. In fact, I think it ought to be done in a kind spirit. The Bible says we ought to speak the truth how? In love. And uh, he said, these folks have no, they have no regard for that. And he used an illustration of the Old Testament. Then he references three different um, types. He says, Cain, he uses Cain in the Old Testament. And um, then he uses Balaam. And then he uses uh, the story of Korah. And three different things. The Cain, of course, he, uh, he brought God his fruit basket. And God says, no, I need a lamb. He said, I don't do blood, but I did work hard for this fruit basket. I worked hard, I sweated hard, and these are the best of the best. And God said, I don't want your works. He brought the doctrine of works in there apart from faith, and that won't work. And then he talks about Balaam, and he, of course, prostituted spiritual gifts for material gain. We all got money on the brain. Every one of us thought about money today somewhere, somehow. And uh, he said, but you, you can be careful. Oftentimes we'll prostitute opportunities to do things spiritually for a material gain. That's what Balaam did. And then Korah. Korah openly rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And uh, God dealt with them. And God dealt with Balaam. He dealt with Cain. Each of them received unbelievable judgment. I think it's something we can learn from that. By the way, it's always better, in my opinion, to learn from someone else's mistakes. Why did God give us the Bible? Why did he give us that? It's so that we can look at those examples and say, hey, I don't think I want to do that. I think you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible will tell us that uh, these things were examples of these things, so, so you won't do them. If you see someone else fall off a cliff, it doesn't mean you have to try it to see how it works for you. No, you got to say, you know, I've seen that happen. I don't want to go down that same road. And he, he gives us these examples. But he's saying these sins are following the same pattern. Israel the demons, Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain, Balaam, and then of course it brings in Korah. Let's continue on if we can please. In verse number uh, 12, the Bible says, these are spots in your feast of charity when they are feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. And I think it kind of references the, the selfish pastors in Jeremiah. They're clouds, they are, without water. That's a reference from Proverbs, carried about with the winds and trees and the fruits thereof, without fruit, twice dead. What do you think that means? Not saved. Yeah, people who are not saved, they're twice dead. They're going to die physically and they're going to be separated from God. Didn't want it that way. But they're unsaved people, functioning in spiritual activities here. But he said they're clouds, they don't have any rain. They're shepherds who only feed themselves and they do not care about the flock. And then he's gonna use another analogy here, raging waves, I think you'll see this in the book of Isaiah. Foaming out their own shame, embarrassing themselves. wondering wandering stars, unbelievers, to whom reserved the blackness of the darkness forever. And then Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Once again, a reference to the writings of Enoch, most likely, and not an Old Testament reference. To execute judgment upon all that are convinced and all that are ungodly among them, that are all the ungodly deeds that they have ungodly committed. Can you think of the key word in that verse right there? And all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. How many would like to live a godly life and an ungodly life? If you want to live a godly life, that might be a life verse for you right there. Verse 16, notice these ungodly people, How uh, how do they put out themselves? These are first what? Murmurs. What do you think murmuring means? Complainers. Griping. Pastor, I don't think that's all that bad. It sounds like to me it's bad. But be very careful about what we say. Murmurs. What's the next one? Complainers. Walking after their own lust. Just living for their own desires. Not really caring about God's desires. They're just doing what they want to do. Walking, and that doesn't always have to mean sexual lust. There, just their own appetites. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, and having men's persons in admiration because of the advantage. And of course, they're taking advantage of other people. And this is often talking about the um, spiritual leaders. These are executing their their words. Verse seventeen. I love this kind of just. It kind of changes its focus, but. Beloved, he says, I want to change. I'm going to close the door on that. Let me give you what you need to do. Remember ye the words that were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes, I want you to remember words. That's something we can do. We can remember the Bible. How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time and who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. He said, did Jesus tell you that you're going to have perilous days ahead of you and you're going to have some bad dudes? He said, yes. This is is something that that Jesus did not keep you in the dark about. He said, they're going to reject you. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. If there's going to be Pharisees and scribes in my days, there'll be other people who are going to be uh, false teachers in your day. Look, if you would please, to the next verse, verse Bible, verse number 19. Now these, they who separate themselves, sensual, They want to go with the flesh, having not the spirit. Let me just say, friend, it's interesting here what the Bible says. You tell me who separates who. As time goes on, they separate themselves because they have fleshly desires and they want to have Christianity on their terms. They want to have religion on their terms. I think this is very real and is happening today. Young people, you be careful about this. Older folks, be careful. Singles, be careful of this. Listen, you can't keep your music and walk with God the same way. You cannot be one with God until you're two with pornography. You're going to have a hard time with that. Boy, we live in a world that's very sensual, very fleshly. We want what we want. He said, but time goes by, they separate themselves. I was talking to someone today. And Ted Turner, I guess, who started CNN and was the big guy down in, uh, in Atlanta for many years ago, he was raised in a Christian home, but, of course, turned his back on that. Here's his, qu- here's his statement. The farther I've got away from Christianity, the better I feel. You know why? Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Yeah, the farther I get away from my Christianity, the better I feel. Boy, that happens oftentimes in the young people and the older people and people in this church and other churches just like this one. They just keep getting away. It's missing this service and then getting away from that. Then going here. Things they used to do, they, things that they said they wouldn't do anymore, things they used to, they're doing it again. Things they've never done, their parents came out of, they start doing. Just, just, just meandering away. It's like, oh, Ted Turner, farther away I get from Christ. And Christianity, the better I feel. Why? Because it's all about his feelings. It's all about his desires. It's all about his lust. And the truth of the matter is, there's many wonderful people that I believe that are going to stand before God with great regret because they, they either were not truly believers or they were believers that just began to go away and they had their conscience seared with a hot iron. And I don't want that to happen to anybody I love and care about. It's grievous. And it's just one compromise after another that just sends them into uh, an ungodly lifestyle. And I've watched them, I've watched them, watch their kids, I've watched their grandkids just begin to go. And they, you know, let me just tell you something, friend, one celebration service a week won't get it for you. It won't get it for your kids and your grandkids. Going to church and getting a rock concert and, and uh, just having Christianity on your terms. Is, it, you, might, you can go into heaven like that, but I'm telling you, friend, I'll be, I'll be a monkey's uncle if, if your grandkids ever hear the gospel clearly. Your grandkids don't get it. And it's sad and it's grievous. And it's selfishness on the heart of many Christians who know better. But they separate themselves and they do what they want to do, and and they're sensual, and they're thinking about that. He says, look, you get away from the scriptures. Do that. We see the rest of the chapter, if you would please. The Bible tells in verse number 20, but he does another another admonition here. you remember the words of Jesus? This is going to happen, and there will be a separation from time to time. Verse number 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. By these are just basic, basic things. Building yourself up in your most holy faith. Where does faith spawn from? The scriptures, the word of God. What's the next thing? What's the Bible? What's the little thing we teach in vacation Bible school? Read your Bible, pray every day and you grow. Well, let me ask you a friend. Have you read your Bible? <laughs> have you prayed today? Are you talking to the father? It's that one-two punch of just personal walk with the Lord. He said, build yourself up in your most holy faith. You'll build it up by relationship with the scriptures. Praying in the Holy Ghost. He doesn't stop with that, but he says the next one here, he says, keep yourselves in the what? Love of God. Remind yourself of the love of God. Keep yourself there. And then looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And what is that? Looking for what? The mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Keep your eye on the eternal. Look for that. And of some have compassion making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him. In't that beautiful? Or, uh, the ending here, doxology. Now unto him. Would you read verse 24 with me? It's a great verse. It's the key verse, I think, of the chapter one I like. Especially let's read it together. Ready? Verse 24. "Now unto him that is able and to present you. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and dominion, uh, glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Would you conclude with me? Amen. What a great book of the Bible, isn't it? Let's look at at a worksheet. I'll give you a couple thoughts here. If you'd like to keep notes, and some of you have got a little notebook going, so I want to kind of keep it going here. The key verse, Jude 24, would be one I'd just love to see as he concludes this wonderful letter. You may find another key verse you would like better. Number one, the reason for the epistle. He said, I want to write, I want to write and tell you how wonderful it is to be saved, but I need you to contend for the faith. You're going to put out beside that. That's the reason. He said, You've got to contend for the faith. You've got to put a fight now. Number two, examples and explanation of the wicked or the ungodly. Examples and explanation of the patterns and the practices and the byproduct of being an ungodly person. Number three, remembering the promises and the prophecies of God. Remember the promises. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus, what he said, and now the admonitions that we're supposed to do. Lessons to learn. Christians must be on guard into these things. Number one, contend for the faith, verse three. Number two, to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ, verse number four. Would you go back there real quick with me, if you would, please? He says... uh, the folks are turned away from the grace of our God, the lascivious denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, they're one. Jesus is God. Would you say that with me? Jesus is? He is God. Everybody, one more time. He is God. Our Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ simultaneously reminding us that. Number three, to remember the promises. And I already pointed that out to you, but you said, remember the words of our Lord Jesus. Go back and remember the promises of God. Then number four, keep building your faith. By the way, you can build your bus route. You can build your Sunday school class. You can build uh, your, your courage to witness to people. You can build a relationship and a testimony in a community. Keep building. Keep building up your most holy faith. It's wonderful, and that has to do with the Word of God. Not only keep building, but keep praying and keep loving and keep looking. Keep yourself in the love of God and his love on me, in me, and through me helps me to love other people too. Verse number five there. Make a difference for others, be it by compassion or fear. Most everybody comes to know Jesus one of two ways, because of compassion or fear. He said some have compassion, Make others save with fear. And I, I think that uh, some of you, if I were to talk about your testimony, you could just say, you know what, I just had a godly friend. He just kept on, kept on, kept on telling me about the Lord, telling me the Lord, and I got saved. And you could say, I got saved because of the compassion of a soul winner. Others of you got saved because you're scared to death. You thought you're going to die and go to hell. <laughs> and you're thinking about, man, I'm under judgment. I'm under judgment. Goodness, I need to get this figured out. I, I, you are you're scared, nervous about that. Compassion or judgment. We make a difference with compassion, the Bible tells us in the last part there. To anticipate being in the presence of God. He said, until we, we all come. And uh, he said, until we can be looking for, that, for the, the, the opportunity to, be, to enjoy our eternal life by the mercies of God. and To anticipate His coming. Keep, keep anticipating what the Lord's going to do. I don't know if there's anybody here tonight you're not sure you're saved. Maybe you're a member of the church, maybe you have a story you tell, maybe you've been baptized, but you're not sure you're saved. If you're not sure you're saved, don't go to hell from First Baptist Church of Hammond. Don't leave this room without Jesus. Let someone take the Bible and show you how to be saved. If you can look back and see the compassion of God. Let the goodness of God bring you to repentance. And then if you are saved, once you evaluate, man, do I have any of these characteristics of the ungodly? Jude explains their their plight. Or uh, their 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 practices and their plight about as good as anybody can do. Encapsulate it very quickly there, and uh, he says some very practical things. Being murmurers, complainers, when most of us we wouldn't confess to to doing some wicked thing. But if I say, "Have you been complaining lately?" How many have? Well, let's raise your hand. But God doesn't think that's a, <laughs> that's. A, a Jake raised his hand. Ken, does he raise it for you, or you know? That I'm just joking. <laughs> He just listening. He just raised his hand whenever he heard that. He didn't hear about the complaining part there. Boy, we we, we get asked something that we think, "Oh, that's not that's a little sin. All sin is sin, and it needs to be dealt with. And it's attitudes of the heart. May God help us. Let's pray together."